episode, brand spanking new episode of The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with an award-winning character actor, musician, and filmmaker with non-profit experience in higher education advocacy, uh, primarily primary prevention of men's violence against women, and restorative justice. Please welcome Chad Eric Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Um, Happy to be here. Yeah, don't. I mean, we, we're 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 in lovely Philadelphia. Yeah. So this is going to be a you know nice little um, addition to this series of interviews that I'm doing up here, and I think mm-hmm. it's important in this series of the truth in this art beyond mm-hmm. to go to the place. You know, yeah. not do it over Zoom. Yeah. You know, although these voices are very sexy. No one can tell. We're all lying. It's, yeah. it's all a lie right yeah. now. I mean, I'm sexy in, on, on radio. I'm sexy in person. You know, it's all bass. No treble. All bass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote something very similar in a speech. I was like, ah, we had some static, poor reception. Mm. And they were like, wow, mm-hmm. you really tried on that one. I was like, I did. I did. Respect me. Give yeah. me. Shower me in your adulation. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, I appreciate this being in person. It, it, it breaks the monotony for sure. Yeah. So before we get like too deep and embedded in it, um, what's the, what's the story? Like ultimately, what is your story? And I know it's multifaceted, yeah. And I know it's like which part of the story, which chapter. But um, w- like start off with like where did you grow up and an experience that um, influenced you as a creative mm-hmm. and influenced your like sort of interest in the work that you're doing. Yeah, it's been a long journey. Everything kind of compounded on itself organically over time. But there's a lot of intention, too. I was born and raised in uh, Washington, Washington D.C., uh, southeast D.C., and uh, went to all D.C. public schools, you know, K through 12, um, which I'm proud of, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've always been kind of a storyteller at yeah. heart uh, from just a kid, you know. Uh, whether I wanted to be an, a magician in elementary school uh, to eventually wanting to be an actor. And, uh, you know, my mom and dad, they really uh, fostered that kind of passion by putting me into, like, drama camps. And, and uh, you know, I even had, like, an art school, uh, art camp um, at the Corcoran School of Art and Design in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I went to school without walls, senior high school on the George Washington University's campus. Yeah. And then went to the University of Pittsburgh um, where I got bitten by that, you know, proverbial uh, theater bug. Yeah. And so really got into theater. So, I mean, that right there was 18 years <laughs> in just two minutes. Yeah, but yeah. Distilled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, D.C., you know, is, uh, you say, home is where the heart's at. And mm-hmm. that's definitely where I think my love for for acting started, but it really kind of, kind of got a big boost in college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So creative philosophy and... You know, what is your, if you were to, like, sum it up, Mm -hmm. what would be your creative philosophy and what were some of those sort of touch points that helped form that? Was it the the theater background? Was it the design background early on and Mm -hmm. kind of being exposed in that way? And I would imagine, like, D.C., you know, having this art the mm-hmm. way that it is, the street art, the the painters that are there and things of the sort, his own music. That's mm-hmm. a, a whole yeah. whole thing that's baked in. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. Like, what would you say your creative philosophy is and, like, what sort of touch points really helped, um, like, mm-hmm. refine it? Mm. That's such a rich question. Um, <laughs> or a rich individual. Yeah, buttery. Yeah. Buttery. Yeah. Buttery. Um, 
Well, first of all, my dad is an Emmy Award-winning music producer. Uh, shout out to my dad. And so I always grew up in a household with music and with kind of creativity. He's also like a fine artist. And my brother, he's an artist. He you know, works for a video game company and creating, music, uh, creating you know, video games and the works. So I think I've always been around creativity. Sure. Um, when I went to college is when I really started... Um, acting. It's like I auditioned, um, got a part, and I was like, oh man, this is fun. I think kind of like the touch points over time that I've really, I think, the crystallize are truth, empathy, and irony. Yeah. Uh, truth, because I think that like what comes from the heart enters the heart, and that when it comes to creativity, whether you're writing or making music um, or you know, performing. I think it has to be anchored in reality, anchored in truth. Yeah. Uh, and then you can build the creativity and the in the imagination around it. But I think people like when things resonate with them yeah. out of a truth. Um, I say empathy because um, I truly think that um, storytelling uh, kind of helps tether our humanity to one another and uh, allows us to kind of understand a walk of life that may not be our own and that allows us to kind of empathize with others and that's helpful to me as an actor to think of the characters that I portray as being uh, potentially real people out in the world and by learning that character and becoming that character I feel like I have a better understanding of how other people are in the world and so um, and then irony Um, so you know when I was in I remember uh, my senior year in college I I got my first lead role in a yeah. play called, uh, what was it called? It was called um, The House of Blue Leaves, and it was a dark comedy. And yeah. I, I auditioned, uh, and apparently I was funny enough to get the part. But then as I was digging deep, so I got the part, and I'm digging deep into the role, and it's like a dark comedy, and the character kept saying, I'm too young to be an old talent, and he was just like this middle-aged guy. And I actually shaved the top of my head bald to give the <laughs> appearance of male pattern baldness. Like, I went all in, like, method, right? And uh, then the director, um, who's still a mentor uh, to this day, uh, Dr. Steven Strum, he pulled me aside. He said, hey, you know, Chad, you know, the reason why you got this part is because you were funny during the auditions, but now you're not funny anymore. Now you're just coming across as depressing. And I said, well, that's because it's a a dark comedy, and the darkness of it is kind of dramatic and dark, right? And he says, says, yeah, but you know what? And audiences don't want to see someone be depressed. Yeah. What's more interesting is watching someone who is depressed trying not to be. Yeah, yeah. And from that moment on, I had this this kind of light bulb went off that like that's true. In the same way that like drunk people uh, tend to try to act sober, like oh, I'm good, you know, I'm good, yeah. you know, I'm good, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so even if they're not, right? Yeah. And so then it clicked, and so moving forward, I, I played the character manic as opposed to depressive. Mm. Like I played it as really like high, high, high. So that at the end. Uh, when the character does something quite like dark, like killing his wife, right. <laughs> it's, it's pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it actually was unexpected because it wasn't like I was playing this dark character leading up to that point. I was playing this character who was like manic, had yeah. a lot of mania, and was really like excited. And so that's part of the reason why, like, when I write, I focus on irony. Like yeah. my film Dark Therapy about a vampire with an irrational fear of blood. You know, like it's really funny. It's, ir- it's ironic. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and so. Those are, I think those are, those are a long answer, but those are kind of truth, empathy, and irony are kind of yeah. like my touch points. Yeah, I, I did a, and thank you for that, um, I did a podcast for a very long time, for about 10 years, where I would look at some of the 
rougher things that happen and try to elicit humor out of it as a way to like, you know, this is not me just making light of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, isn't this ironic that this is happening? Right, right. And that sort of mentality in part led to me, I think like initially, this podcast started when, you know, a couple of days after Trump said that Baltimore's just a city of rats. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, that's the motivator. I'm, I'm annoyed. Mm-hmm. I'm angry. Mm-hmm. I'm tight about this. Yeah. And I want more people to be tight about it. Right. And I think the way to do it is disprove it. Yeah. You know, show, yeah. the, show these sort of interviews. Right. But prior to that, I just remember doing a podcast, doing two actually, and we were talking about just different things that were happening mm-hmm. in the country. And I was just like, Eh, I don't know if we can get a lot of humor out of this one. Yeah. And some things it's like we're, we'll turn it on the side. I remember when um, some of the protests were happening um, and the response to to uh, numerous um, you know police shootings. George Floyd comes to mind in this, mm-hmm. this scenario. And and um, as I remember, it was like this is going to be a challenge. And it was not talking about that particular um, thing because it's not much you can get out of it. But the people that are talking about their freedoms, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, these are the people to make fun of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, coming up with problematic ice cream was a bit that we came out of that. Mm -hmm. Just like, Mm -hmm. it's just bland vanilla ice cream, half water, and it's like, we don't kneel. It's all these different talking points. I love that. That are the name of the flavors. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an anti-Ben and Jerry's. It was Mm -hmm. really, really, (laughs) really strong. Yeah. And, so that that's always been a thing that's there, and even when when people listen to this, because I've, I've had people send me feedback, it's like, oh, this is funny. I was like, yeah, oh, because you know, I'm always like kind of struggling. Like, is this is this actually art? Is this talent, or yeah. is it just me just mm-hmm. being open enough to have that sort of conversation and mm-hmm. really kind of dabbling with it? And not going in as an expert. Yeah, I'm going yeah. in as a person that's really interested in learning who the person is that I'm interviewing. Look, art can be anything. I think. Um, I mean, I guess that's debatable, right? Because everyone has their own taste. But like, literally, there's like blank canvases in museums that are worth millions of dollars, right? Yeah. And people say, "Oh, that's art," you know, or uh, Andy Warhol take a, you know take a picture of a tomato can, and people <laughs> say it's art, you know. Yeah. So, I think it's if you assert that it is and have some sort of vision around it. Yeah. yeah, it's art. 100%. That, and that's what I've been, been learning. Mm-hmm. So with that, that's the end of the podcast now. So with that, <laughs> uh, d- describe like, and, and I, you may have touched on this, but, you know, if you have, you know, if you have another one, that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. But tell me about a formative experience that kind of led to you in pursuing like, you know, filmmaking, led to you pursuing like your art at this sort of level and led to you pursuing like um, a role in like cultural work. Mm-hmm. Hmm. When I was in high school, um, we didn't have a theater department. Uh, it was called School Without Walls, so we didn't have a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know, we had walls, I guess, but people always ask, you have walls? But we, it was usually, it was based around the idea of using the city as a classroom, right? Mm-hmm. So we had to, you know, maybe take a biology class at the zoo or yeah. go to the library. Anyway. That um, sounds really cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it definitely was formative in the sense that it prepared me for, uh, you know, post-high school maybe beyond my peers at other high schools who had a more traditional experience. Um, But I was part of a theater troupe called Teens Against the Spread of AIDS, Mm -hmm. or TASA. And it was through Children's National Medical um, Hospital. And we would use, um, like, improv, you know, theater, drama, acting, to work with other folks our age, you know, um, middle school, even younger, high school, mm-hmm. teaching them about like healthy relationships and and sex and all types of, 
you know, difficult topics um, for people of that age, but in a way that was, like, accessible. Sure. Yeah. And um, I remember one time I played a character who was, um, who was gay and was worried about coming out to his parents. Mm-hmm. And apparently I... Uh, pulled it off so believably that <laughs> afterwards, and I thought everyone knew that this was like drama and this was like, you know, we were using it as a, a tool to have a messaging. But afterwards, I remember someone came up to me and he was like, hey, man, you know, I hope um, hope everything works out with you and your mom and dad. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I was like, what, what, I was like, uh, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, everything you said about like being nervous about coming out and yeah. stuff. You're like, I am yeah. that good. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, thank you. I appreciate it. But it, it it made me feel like it really clicked. I was like, oh, man, I must have been really believable. Like, mm-hmm. they, you know, I really, like, sold it, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't really about, like, leaning into, like, stereotypes as much as just being, like, sincere about, like, the challenge that a lot of people around the country and the world have about those type of topics, right? Yeah. But that was kind of, like, the first moment that before college where I was like, hey, maybe I'm actually good at this thing. Yeah. I'm, like... I'm able to uh, come across as believable in an imaginary circumstance. And then when I went to college, you know, being, uh, you know, on a predominantly white campus, I was at Pitt Greensburg and being like one of the few, if any, like black students who were like in theater, I was able to stand out in that way. But also, um, you know, so I became like a big fish in a small pond. And I think that became really formative, even though my degree was in psychology. um, In fact, I'm not even though. I'm not going to even say even though. In yeah. fact, I think that my my studying of psychology really informs my my ability and, and my love for acting and yeah. for understanding human behavior and why people do what they do. And so, uh, so you know, now I'm in kind of this multi-hat wearing position of converging my love for psychology and my love of storytelling into yeah. the communications industry, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that point was, was kind of a, a moment that stuck with me as being like, oh, this is a trajectory, you know? Yeah. And so since then I've done, you know, hell a lot of theater, film, stand-up comedy, you know? I've even had a part-time job as a ghost tour guide behind the White House. <laughs> Uh, for like three years, doing the Obama years, and I used to do an Obama impression uh, for folks. Uh, uh, here's the thing. Uh, last night, me and Michelle uh, were talking about how we as Americans need to do better. Uh, yes, we can. You know, It's pretty spot on. Thank you, thank you. So, you know, it's just kind of, like I said, organically happening over time. Yeah, I think finding the things that that resonate. Like I was, you know, sharing with you before we got started. Mm-hmm. I'm a data analyst in the day job. Yeah, yeah. And then I do this, and I was like, I see how they're connected. Yeah. But people are like, that's so interesting. You're using so many different parts of your brain. I was yeah. like, not really. It's, yeah. it's at the end of the day, it's storytelling to me. Exactly. Um, you're, you're looking for some sort of truth that will have you underneath yeah. all of it. It right. might be weeding through numbers. Mm-hmm. It also might be weaving through a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's creative to yeah. to even be able to think that way about how to connect things that to other people may seem unrelated. Yeah. I mean, that's the feat in and of itself. True. So we're, we're here in Philly. So mm-hmm. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention any of like being in this sort of like art city. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see it all over the walls and the buildings and all of that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. I said that with a certain degree of energy. That sounds really weird. No, excited. it's excitement. Yeah. <laughs> but so, so tell me about <laughs> any inspiration because you're, you're, you're from D.C. Mm-hmm. And um, you're, you're many hats, mm-hmm. th- though neither of us are wearing hats right now, which is disappointing. Yeah. yeah. 
So and we're lacking in hair a bit too. Yeah, you know? it's 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 going down. Yeah, yeah. I, the beginning of COVID yeah. and the whole like shutdown, I grew it out, and mm-hmm. then I put pomade in there and slicked uh-huh. it back. That'll do it. And my, my partner was like, "Are you uh, Lester Holt?" Or <laughs> I was like, "Look, can yeah. I can I have like five minutes of right. fun?" Is that for the conk? Remember those the conk? What was that? <laughs> uh, that seems like old school thing, no, it, right? It, it, that's a, you, yeah. We're both aging ourselves. Right, because right. We both know what that is. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, watch Malcolm X if you want to learn what a conk is. Malcolm X. Don't put your head in the toilet. <laughs> right. um, so, what is it about Philly mm-hmm. that inspires you? Well, like you said, it's, it's definitely known um, as an art city, and that's in part because we have the most public artworks in in the country, yeah. and the most murals in the world. It's um, known as the mural capital of the world, and that's in part because of the work that uh, that Mural Arts Philadelphia does, which yeah. is my day job. And um, so, you know, it, it, it's helpful that I get to be just two hours from my hometown of D.C. That's always nice. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we're also in a midway point between uh, New York and D.C. And New York is also a big hub for uh, arts and culture. But I, I think Philly is just, I, I think it's just, it makes art accessible. You know, yeah. like right now we're inside Rec Philly, right? Yeah. And Rec Philly is a hub for creatives. And so it's meant to foster like creative entrepreneurship and allow for folks to be able to do what we're doing right now. And so, you know, not everywhere is is it so easy for a person who has a creative spirit to be able to flourish. Yeah. And I think Philadelphia makes that really easy for people. That's 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 really cool. And mm-hmm. I I see it as well. It, it had me come from Baltimore with my my sullen black heart. Mm-hmm. Take that train up here mm-hmm. and. Um, there is a, a certain degree of energy, and the, the people up here have really been like, you share your vision, mm-hmm. like, this is what I want to do. And I, I've had a fair amount of like, oh, no, I get that. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. And just like why I'm doing it, it's like, oh, no, that also makes sense. Yeah. It's less work to try to get over a vision. Like, people are already kind of like there. Right. They're primed, primed for it. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. primed for a, yeah. a creative conversation. It's because you see it everywhere. It's, you know, it's like art is omnipresent. Yeah. And I feel like in DC, I used to feel like music was everywhere because, you know, we see like musicians, street musicians performing. Yeah. I don't see street musicians that much here in Philly. Um, but you do see art and you see that everywhere. And, and I think that, you know, subconsciously or consciously, it makes people feel, like you said, you know, primed to uh, go down that journey with you with an idea. So, and because I, cause I see this happen, I've, I've said it before that I think that Philly is a bit further along in the PR sort of rebranding mm-hmm. in some ways, because it's, you know, like I, I've been on here multiple times and in multiple conversations. Philly and New Orleans are the only other places that I would live at outside of Baltimore. Okay. And, um, and that I've visited. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's other places. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you've never been to Bali. Like, <laughs> this is true. Right. But so, and, and I've seen sort of that shift that, that has happened over the last few years, a shift in a positive manner or what have you. But mm-hmm. I'm also saying this as a person that's an outsider. Right. I feel that Baltimore is moving in that similar direction. So it poses this question, like, how does a place like grow, like a community, an environment, something like like this? Is it energy? How mm-hmm. does that grow while maintaining its like cultural identity? Because yeah. I think sometimes pieces are sold off. Mm-hmm. Of well, then suddenly you've just become Williamsburg, and yeah. that's that's the pejorative. So how do, how does that happen? What are your your By take on that? Maintaining your cultural identity. Another good one out the park. 
<laughs> Rob Lee has just hit the ball out of the park. Um, I think it's about just community engagement. Um, you know, I mentioned Mirror Arts Philadelphia. The work that we do is rooted in participatory art. Yeah. And so if the work that is causing there to create uh, an evolution of a place is always tethered to the people who are already there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like the topic of gentrification, for example, right? Like, the best way to um, ensure that there's not displacement is making sure that the people who are already present are playing some sort of role in, on the front lines of that mm-hmm. change, you know? Yeah. So, like, when, um, when a mural goes up in a city here, um, it's not just because some outsider said they wanted and they had enough money to pay for it. Yeah. It's a kind of a it's a participatory process with workshops where you get to hear from the community members and they get to have some uh, some ownership over the process and the end product, and that results in people having a stronger feeling of belonging, yeah. which is so important, right? Um, and a community and a feeling of kind of togetherness, you know, if that's yeah. word. So. I think um, a place grows but continue maintaining its identity by ensuring that the people who are already at the, in the place yeah. are part of the process of the growth. Because I think that what's what maintains it being that place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's you have acronyms. Like mm-hmm. uh, I know it was a, a joke on South Park about uh, Soto Sopa, <laughs> and it's like, oh, the South of Park. It's like, oh, that's not a, right. not a thing. Yeah. And I, I like like last. What was it two weekends ago? I'm dating this time, but mm-hmm. recently I'll say, mm-hmm. um, I did a, um, I did a like, I was a guest or having I did an interview at um, Baltimore by Baltimore, mm-hmm. and it was an event that really was hitting those people that are unrepresented, the people that are the true Baltimoreans mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. may not have the glitz and, gr- and glamour, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just showing them like in an authentic sort of space, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is actually an event. Yeah, this is actually a real thing. Yeah. And this is filling in some of those gaps where, you know, you may not have a big art thing like an artscape or something Mm -hmm. or some type of big festival for makers and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. But having something that's right there that's like in a landmark like the Inner Harbor Mm -hmm. and then filling that out. And it's like this actually feels like a Baltimore thing. But at the same time, as as growth happens, it's like, is there still going to be space for these folks? Yeah. I mean, I think it's always going to be. I don't think you can get around kind of the gap that happens between the like authentic what people think is authentic Baltimore, authentic DC, authentic Philly, yeah. and like it's representative. You know, people say, "Oh, you know, it's your representative." Yeah. Because um, I know, like in DC, like you know, when you look at a postcard in a you know tourist shop, you're going to see the obligatory White House, you know, yeah. Jefferson Memorial, all that stuff. Um, I want to see Chuck Brown, damn it. Exactly. That's, and that's right there is kind of at the heart of what I'm saying is that, yeah. like, Chuck Brown was at my sister's baby shower, which was just, like, so random. Like, I actually was sitting on the piano and playing. He's like, Chuck Brown just came through for, I forget how that happened, but he was just chilling at, our, uh, you know, or when we think about, like, uh, Marion Barry, you know, he used to hang out at, like, cookouts and stuff and probably do more things. But um, but my, my point is, is that, like, there's, there's that identity will always be there as long as those people who yeah. uh, who value those things are there too. And so, you know, a place is really not just the physical space, but the people in it. And as long as people don't get displaced, then those kind of cultural uh, cornerstones will stay there. Yeah, it's going to come out of concrete. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then it's just a matter of like asserting their existence and letting people know uh, mm-hmm. that this culture is here. 
Yeah, I, um, you know, one of the really cool byproducts of coming up here and doing this interview, I had a guest who was a little late for the interview, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yo, my bad, bro. I stopped to get a sandwich. You want a cheesesteak? And mm-hmm. I was like, I would not have heard that in Philly yeah. from a Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't up here. Right, right, right. I was like, this is, this is just gumbo in New Orleans. This yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah. And I guess DC we have Ben's Chili Bowl. This is you know you know it's a thing. I've I've been there yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, I may have gone there after um, a Hannibal Burris show at the high, uh, what is it high, uh, Lincoln? Lincoln, yep. yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, this was when he started his Cosby. That's, oh, that yeah. was like that time. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I heard this Ben Chili Bowl. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. And that's when they had Bill Cosby's mural on the wall of Ben Chili's Bowl. <laughs> this and they got naked. Yeah. <laughs> then he replaced it with like Prince and Dave Chappelle. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. So. You know, we, we talked about mural arts Philadelphia a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, ultimately, how did you how did you get there from like like DC? Like, what was that sort of like pipeline? And 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 tell me about some of the work that you know that happens there that really like resonated with you. Yeah, it was really interesting how that happened. So, um, my fiance, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time, mm-hmm. uh, we were long distance for three years. I was in DC. She was in Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> And uh, she was in law school down there. So three years long distance. And then um, Larry Krasner, uh, the district attorney here, uh, was going around the country and was uh, recruiting um, people of color to be assistant district attorneys. And mm-hmm. he went to her school and recruited her. And so she got a job as an assistant district attorney uh, here in Philly. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm in D.C. and you're in Philly, well, even though that's shorter distance, I might as well move up here. So I did. And so uh, my aunt, who was working in China, of all places, owned a condo right within city limits, which nice. was perfect for her and for me. So moved in together. And um, my uh, I didn't know anyone in Philly. But my dad, uh, who I said was a, a music producer, <laughs> he produced an artist back in the 90s named Jello. Uh, his name is Angelo Adson, <laughs> but his, his, his artist's name was Jello. It's right? a great name. It's a great name, yeah. His album was Jello, Fruits of Knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, right? Yeah. But, um, but anyway, so Jello, he's based in his area, and he knew a guy named Greg Corbin. Yeah. Now, Greg Corbin was the dark director of restorative justice mm. at Murals Philadelphia. And he was like, yeah, we're trying to get more uh, different um, different models of kind of masculinity in the space. of the, yeah. and the restorative justice department is a department that works with justice-impacted individuals, including folks who have returned from prison, um, and puts them on a path for employment by using, like, teaching them hard and soft skills, including, like, mural making, carpentry, and all this stuff. So, sure. like, we would love for you with all your experience in, like, higher education advocacy and, you know, um, as you said earlier, working uh, at Men Can Stop Rape, where I was doing primary prevention um, work. And so I was like, sure. So I started working there as an assistant guild coordinator. And the guild is the apprenticeship program for the justice-impacted individuals. So I did that for a little over a year. And then it was like a part-time temporary job that kept getting renewed over the course of that year. And I drove Lyft uh, as well and then continued to do, like, my acting and film stuff on the side until I could find something full-time. And then the communications uh, director at the time resigned. And I was like, hmm, I should throw my hat in the ring. Yeah. And, you know, in fact, in fact, I wasn't even going to. Uh, I was a little nervous because you know they'd never had a man or a person of color in that role right. um, in the organization's history. And I was like, I don't know. If, you know, I don't have a degree in communications. I see it myself. Why all the skill sets and yeah. experiences work, but maybe they wouldn't have the 
the imagination. So I, at first I wasn't even going to apply, but then um, but then Dewan Williams, who is uh, one of the coordinators in the Restorative Justice Department, he was like, hey, yo, Chad, I think you should go ahead and do that. You could do that in your sleep, uh, young boy, <laughs> right? So I was like, okay. So I was like, all right, let me go ahead and give it a shot. And yeah. five interviews later, I got it, right? So I, mean, I moved basically to the city January 2020, two months before the pandemic yeah. hit. And the year later was in senior leadership as the first man, first person of color to comm director uh, at Mirror Arts. Shout out to you. Yeah. Big things, bro. Big things. Yeah, it was cool. I love that. And you're so, you know, you, you have this sort of interest. You're also not not only the like uh, director of communications and brand management, but also you're a co-chair mm-hmm. of um, the DEI, right? Yeah. And belong a DEIB. Yes, yes, yes. So that and that falls in line with just your background and your mm-hmm. interest in that. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, like from your vantage point, this is a question you don't have, but mm-hmm. it caught me. Mm-hmm. How do you think that we're, we're doing in terms of like, you know, arts like generally in these sorts of cities? Because I see I see similarities between Baltimore, Philly, Baltimore, mm-hmm. New York, and there. Just the same pipeline, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. What what sorts of things are you seeing in terms of maybe improvements or maybe how we treat diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging or justice? Because mm-hmm. I've seen some people call it Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. how do you think that we're doing in that regard in a macro sense? Not Nothing really individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. We're going back and forth. <laughs> I think, you know, as, from a macro level, I think that, like, there's a, so much work that needs to be done on a macro level. Um, and you need more of the micro to kind of make that macro kind sure. of, you know. But I think that the country as a whole, like, when I think about it from a national level, I just feel like this is so much work that needs to be done. Um, there's just so much ignorance out there um, about why it's so valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really does start, I think, on the micro level of, like, organizations like Mirror Arts um, um, really putting emphasis on how uh, on why diversity equity inclusion belonging is important and it can't just be a talking point on your website yeah it has to be something that you actually are living and breathing and all the work you're doing is through through that lens yeah um, I told you the story of how I became a communications director but didn't really answer your question about why yeah. Mirror Arts resonated sure, with me and, and so its mission is to use uh, participatory public art um, to, and I wrote down, wrote it down, to make sure I got it right. These bullet points. Yeah, to inspire change in people, place, and practice, right? Mm. To make a more um, just and equitable Philadelphia. That's the mission statement. Right. And one of the first things I did in my first three months was try to like demystify what that means to make it clearer. So I authored a brand statement, and the brand statement is that Mirror Arts Philadelphia exists to provide transformative experiences, progressive discourse and economic stimulus to the city of Philadelphia through participatory public art that beautifies, advocacy that inspires, and educational programming and employment opportunities that empower. So when our founder and executive director, Jane Golden, says, art ignites change, how do we do it? We beautify, we inspire, Mm -hmm. and we empower, right? And that, you know, me doing that came from my experience as a filmmaker knowing how to create a log line to a two-hour movie, right, or our, you know, how do you synthesize something big into something kind of simple and, and, and kind of succinct? Now, when you get back to diversity, equity, inclusion, if I didn't have the opportunity to be the comic director to bring my emotional intelligence and my perspective and my experiences into the room, yeah. my diversity of thought, you know, or, or rather my thought into the room that brings diversity into maybe what might have been a more uh, 
uh, homogenous type of space, yeah. then we wouldn't have that brand statement. We wouldn't have that slogan that I think has really moved the needle in creating um, clearer storytelling for the organization. So yeah. I say all that to say that, like, you know, when you when you bring in um, kind of diverse voices, mm-hmm. diverse ideas, you can really move the needle um, with regards to um, changing systems, you yeah. know. And so, um, and you do that on an organizational level, it can have uh, reverberating effects on a city, yeah. especially an organization like ours that is part city, part nonprofit, that, um, and whose work is so omnipresent around the city because we're in pretty much every neighborhood, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I kept thinking to myself, man, how can a city that's so black and brown not have ever had mm-hmm. a community, a, a, a communications department that was more reflective of the people with whom they're shaping narratives about? Yeah. And I said that during my interview, you know, basically. And they, I think they were like, yeah, I think that that's a good opportunity. And so it takes a person kind of asserting their existence and saying, hey, this is something you all should do that maybe you never thought of before, but also takes people in authority saying yes. Yeah. You know, and then and that's why I think those things are important. And that that was more a lot focused on the the diversity aspect of it. But all those other things, inclusion and equity and belonging, th- that's important to me as just as a black man in America <laughs> now having like a little bit more um influence in a kind of major nationally internationally known organization you know yeah when and thank you for that because i think a lot of times um you know people ask me like why do you have this person or you had that person Mm -hmm. we had black people and it's like they're they're there they're just baked in you know and i think trying to be reflective of who's on this this sort of content or what have you what Mm -hmm. makes up the city or what have you and you know my experience is going to be leading some of that, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of I'm a black man. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, eh, I'm going to kind of push these episodes to the front a little bit yeah, or yeah. start reaching out for folks. And it's, it's just like what my tastes are, what my biases are, what have you, and acknowledging those, yeah. but also making an effort to bring in other people. They may say no. Yeah, yeah. They may not be interested. It may not fit what they're looking to do, but the intent is there, what have you. Mm-hmm. And I'll say a lot of the conversations that I have, I learn from and it's like, oh, let me broaden this. Let me mm-hmm. broaden my perception of yeah. what art might be because mm-hmm. I, I imagine, and I've heard it, that you know some of the people in these like sort of bigger spots, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's art. Yeah. And it's it has a racial lens to it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think there's so many people who haven't had the opportunity to share their story and mm-hmm. that's what really connects and brings them to to this sort of like platform, I guess. Yeah. And you have because of that, you have the power to amplify the voices that may not have been amplified but for you, right? Yeah. And I think about that a lot. I mean there have been opportunities that I know I've been able to allow for uh, people who look like me since I've been in this role that might not have been able to get their foot in the door, and that's because I'm in the room now to be able to make certain decisions. Um, like, for example, um, there's this um, this digital billboard truck business, KG3 Mobile Advertising, that we just kind of communicated through Instagram, you know, DM, you know, and next thing you know, they're helping to raise our brand awareness through their digital billboard truck around the city, and it's black-owned, you know. And so now this, you know, black-owned business is kind of partnered with the largest public art program in the country. And it's a good feeling to be able to say, yeah, like, and at the end of the day, the work is still getting done, 
the way it, it it's supposed to, right? Yeah. But now in a more creative and innovative way, and bringing in people into the fold who weren't in the fold before. That's 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 vision, mm-hmm. and I I find that. You know, there was conversation at one point about some of the arts leaderships, the arts stewards in, in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the conversation or the assessment was, I don't know if anybody here that's in a decision-making role is representative of the community that you're serving. Right. And I think that that's a thing that happens a lot. Yeah. And I, you know, in my day job, I had to kind of call that out. I was mm-hmm. like, are we looking for change? Because right. I was like, you know, kind of... It, it was a risky. It was a risky proposition. Yeah, yeah. I was in a, in a meeting. And I was like, "Yeah, we're in the middle of a food desert." Yeah, and yeah. by pro, by by proxy of me having some of these conversations with folks, mm-hmm. I'm like aware of some of the inner workings. Yeah, because it's arts and culture, right? Yeah, and I'm talking with folks, and I'm like, "Yeah, we're in the middle of a food desert. There's nothing over here." Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, it's a damn shame that yeah. these different big companies in this sort of health mm-hmm. sphere." I was like, "This is right around the. Co- oh, it's not a priority. It's not a priority because you guys don't live here. You don't care." Right, right, right. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, okay." And trying to explain that to folks who aren't. Um, who aren't from here or, or like or just kind of like in an echo chamber you yeah. know it's like trying to explain fire to a fish you know <laughs> if you just don't know you don't know and like, that's why you need to have different people who are kind of in the room who can say oh wait wait no yeah. we should go about this a different way we're, we're always going to forget someone mm-hmm. so i think being able to broaden who's there and to yeah. be able to lean in mm-hmm. is a higher likelihood to be able to ca- catch a larger group you're leaving Leaving people on the table if you're yeah. not doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and it's, and it's a good business model too, yeah. right? Because those are also not just like audience members, but customers and clients. Yeah. You know, so it's it's actually a good way to actually expand your um, your clientele. I, I remember I because I'm a weirdo and I like some of the things that I like. I'm looking for the, the unique people at times. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to the, the homie Elijah Bald at DC mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was talking to like two hundred two creates. I was like, I never heard of the Jogo project, uh-huh. and, I, and I'm talking about it. It's like, what's the Jogo project? I was yeah. like, this is a yo city, you know, right, I right, all right. that. Yeah, I was like, pay me to host a show in my city, right, 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 <laughs> with them. Yeah, the two hundred two creates is cool too. Yeah, but it's but it's interesting of like you know just like what people are. You only know what you know. So right. being able to have those sorts of conversations with people mm-hmm. and being able to open it up, that's that's big and that's yeah. important. Yeah. So. This this is this is maybe going to be a controversial question. Oh. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Where does great art happen? Where's the interesting work happening? And I'm thinking I'm thinking in terms of like location, in terms of community, demographic things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've heard some people say, you know, in the places you aren't looking, mm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, in those sorts of communities, especially from like a street art sort of, yeah. or the people that are really in this sort of DIY space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, where is the great art? kind of happen who's making the great art that's a good question you know my first thought and i don't know that this may not be like a orthodox answer but not being orthodox at all yeah (laughs) my first thought was that it happens in your mind you know like where does great art happen like it happens there because i know we talked before about like having the, the, the the space to be creative yeah and having the time to be creative and if you're too busy you can't be you know, like it's if you're too busy, and mm-hmm. so because you're just not allowing yourself to have the mental real estate to do it. So, I my first answer to that question is like great art is happening in the minds of so many people around the city of Philadelphia and around the country and the world that they just need like space, time, opportunity to be able to get it from outside their mind, I mean, from inside the mind out into the world. 
So that's what happens first. Um, you know, I tend to think that like black folks are some of the most creative, uh, innovative individuals in the world. Um, and so there's definitely a lot of uh, creativity um, just within, um, you know, the black community. Just keep it real. I mean, know? they're frying yeah. Um, yeah. salmon, though. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. I didn't know that could happen. Fried I was like, wow. Salmon. Yeah. I was like, Damn, I thought it was only tilapia and catfish. <laughs> right, bro. right, yeah. They take it to the next level. <laughs> they, they are. In, yeah. Innovation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I can't think too much about any more specific um, than that, but, yeah. Yeah, it, it reminds me of that, that, that sort of quote that, that mm-hmm. I had in here from this this book or what have you. And mm-hmm. it's, um, what is it? It's, it's talking about, like, uh, it's just this book, uh, Creativity, Flow, and the Psychology of Discovery and Invention. Mm-hmm. You know, people who keep themselves busy all the time are not really creative. Yeah, yeah. And I, and, and I find that, I'm, and I kind of struggle with that, because yeah. I think I was telling you at one point when we talked initially how many interviews I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm like, him, I too busy to do this mm-hmm. and I'm trying to weed through that because yeah. I like being busy yeah. but I don't like being busy that the content isn't good yeah. that, the, that the that I haven't done enough research or I'm prepared so yeah. I think I'm doing enough I'm stretching as it were yeah. versus I think when you're busy you're just like I gotta get through this yeah. there's some bunk that's going out yeah. and you're like you mail that in yeah yeah um, so, so and I think being the director of communications yeah. and brand management like I think People would think it's a really creative job, and it and it is in a lot of ways, but kind of like more on a uh, conveyor belt, you know, like kind of autopilot type yeah, thing. Yeah. Yesterday, I was in six hours of Zoom meetings. You know what I mean? And so, if you have six hours out of what's supposed to be eight hour day, yeah. and I work way more than eight hours a day, but um, just in Zoom meetings, it's like, damn, you know, think of all the time lost where I could have been doing something else that's maybe even more creative than sitting down in yeah. front of a laptop, right? So. I agree that, like, having space and time. I mean, some of my best ideas have come from, you know, taking a walk in the Wissahakon Trail, you know, um, or, uh, (laughs) you know, or taking a shower, you know, and just doing things that allows for time to to be able to have its way with me. Yeah, I like that. Um, Yeah, I I think when we don't have that time and we're in this sort of, like, the conveyor belt, I, I love that, but this sort of, like, time where... You're trading that limited resource of time for the prospect, the possibility yeah. of an opportunity yeah. to maybe smell funding or smell access and yeah. so on. And I, I think that there has been this shift that, like, I feel that in times podcasting is deprecated because everyone thinks they're a podcaster and mm-hmm. not everyone's a podcaster. Right. And I think that happens with some some creative pursuits as well. Like, let's say, oh, you're an artist. It's like not everyone is that because I think, as you touched on earlier, mm-hmm. there are certain things. And with the advent of um, AI now making art, it's like you can't replace it. There's something that has to speak to you. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. You seen the movie iRobot with Will I Smith? Have, I have seen the movie iRobot. There was a scene when uh, they were having this debate about yeah. like what is human, you know, and, yeah. and what is it to be human, and then. Uh, you know, I forget. I don't know the the script verbatim, but yeah. like Will Smith's character as this this robot character yeah. is like, you know, can you draw the Sistine Chapel, for example? And he shot back, "Can you?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and he was like, hmm, you know, touche. Right, but yeah. but his point, I think Will Smith's point was good. But then that I wrote, you know, that robot was like, eh. it's Thanksgiving clapback. Yeah, that's a clapback right there. <laughs> so, I, but I, I think that is a, a thing, and I, and I, I I use that to lean into this piece right here. And this is like I got one more question after this mm-hmm. before we get to those rapid fire ones that everyone gets. Oh. Um, so, 
aside from money, right? Mm-hmm. What are like two to three things, like from a like DEIB lens, that you you think like artists need? Because I think mm-hmm. money's too easy. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, just more Jordans or what have you. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's that's a great question. Um, because you know, money is is definitely the first thing that most people would say, because mm-hmm. it does offer allow for other things. But I mean, space and time. Like you know, we're, we're here in Rec Philly. This yeah. is space allows for people who are creative, um, who may not have had like the access that maybe other folks with more privilege might have had sure. to be able to do it. So space is so important. Um, time again, it, like you said, it's it's so limited and it's so moving forward, and it seems like it's going faster as we get older. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I don't know how you get more time, but like having more time carved out for creativity and like other people who may have control of your time in some way, whether it's your employer or, or your family, whatever, allowing you that time to, yeah. you know. Um, I, I said this, yeah. like, my, my, my partner's trying to dive back into it. Like, mm-hmm. she's a writer, right? Mm-hmm. And she was like, so how do you balance? Because she was like, I see that you're basically doing two full-time jobs yeah. that, you know, require different things of you. Yeah. And she was like, how do you do it? I was like, I try to commit to it. Yeah. I try to stack things where I can. Yeah. So, you know, part of my process is I listen, I consume a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. So yeah. if I'm taking Same a train here. up here. Yeah. That's time for me to get through a few chapters. And yeah. I don't know if you do what I do, but it's um, one and a half times the speed. It's never. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I, I saw that I had that option on yeah. Audible, but I haven't done yeah. it. So I can get through a little quicker. Yeah, yeah you I get can. through it a little quicker. Yeah, yeah. And you like you could still hear it and yeah. you get everything that you need to get. Yeah. It's just slightly faster. And huh. I'm going to start doing that. That's great. Yeah. When, whenever, like, I, and I came to this idea, like, I started um, the four hour work week years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to read this. Mm-hmm. I, I just knew it. Yeah. Right. And, but I, I, I kind of got this concept of stacking mm. and I was like, this is going to give me time that I'm able to do some of these things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, you'll get an email and some people are, they, they, they get hooked and it's like, I need to respond to it immediately. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to get the response I want from this. Let me schedule this email. Mm-hmm. Let me, you know, kind of play with time just a little mm-hmm. bit. And I was like, that's the only way I can juggle I do, all of these I things. do it all the time. Look, sometimes my Monday mornings will have 17 scheduled emails at, like, random increments of time. Like, they're not all at 8 a.m., you know? Yeah. Like, they're, like, 8.02, 8.37, 9.46, right? Because in some ways, it's not just about, like, it's also, like, delaying their response, mm-hmm. right? Because if you schedule it, because, you know, you send it out right now, they might respond in the next five minutes. You're like, ah, now i got to go back and forth. But if I do the work, schedule out into the future, I can kind of hold off their response and while I work on something else. So, yeah, I, I do that, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like time laundering in a different, <laughs> but in a different way, you know? I like it. Yeah. So I got one more thing I want to ask you um, because I don't want to I don't want to leave this without talking about um, Mr. Duke Productions. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Mr. Duke Productions is my film production company. Uh, Mr. was my miniature schnauzer when I was a kid, and Duke was a boxer. Uh, so they're my two like beloved childhood dogs, and the logo is of a miniature schnauzer and a boxer. So that's what the name was um, comes from. But um, in twenty. 15, yeah. I had a horrible heartbreak. Um, oh, no. my, um, my ex broke up with me with a handwritten letter, and we lived together. I was like, oh, snap. Like, here you go. I know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> She broke up with a handwritten letter, and it was just, like, devastating. We were together for, like, five years, you know? <laughs> and so what I did was I turned that pain into art. I wrote a screenplay called Rumination. 
and it was about a heartbroken man who travels into the past for a second chance at a failed relationship, and it's on Amazon Prime, so definitely check it out. Uh, like but, that. <laughs> but it was a short film, and it was, you know, Lemons to Lemonade, and um, it, that was the beginning of me, like, kind of saying, you know what, I want to put this film out there, but I, I don't want it to just be, like, written, directed, and produced by Chadwick Smith, I wanted to like, like, oh, let's create a production company so that like I can kind of separate my name from, like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so I, I created the. I said, oh, I think my brother-in-law said you should call it Mr. Duke Productions. I was like, oh, that's good. You know? <laughs> and um, so that's how the, the. So basically, the production company was birthed out of this heartbreak and, and the need to have like an LOC and like a business model to go along with the film. And then since then, I created um, some other things, but. Um, yeah, the the film production company is like I'm really inspired by the work of like Jordan Peele and like his uh, company Monkey Paw Productions, and I think similarly like I like those type of stories that kind of deal with like uh, kind of cool genres like sci-fi or um, speculative fiction, Afrofuturism, and like converging them with like themes of like psychological themes like rumination, which is a psychological theme or. Um, my film Dark Therapy about a vampire with irrational fear of blood is is both ironic um, but also you know has some psychological aspects to yeah. it. So, um, but Mr. Duke Productions also has dabbled in like um, uh, political ads for local um, folks. Like for example, we had a couple of uh, attorneys here who were running for judgeships in Philly, and I uh, shot, produced, and edited their nice. uh, campaign ads. And that was doing like the height of the pandemic, so you know, making some extra money. Um, Cannot bet. <laughs> yeah, do some consulting, and um, so it's either I'm in front of the camera or I'm going to be behind it. But it was really out of the spirit of wanting to have um, creative autonomy, which is, I think, my other answer to your question about what an artist needs, um, and having uh, kind of ownership stake because yeah. as an actor you're always pretty much at the mercy of other people saying yes. You know, you go and audition and you hope you get the part, but if you become the writer and producer of your own content, then you can kind of, like, empower yourself as a as a creative to, like, just create the type of stories and the type of characters you would want to do without having to wait for other people to do it for you. It was, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, his name escapes me. It was an actor who said that um, actors are seen, but writers are heard. Mm. Uh, Jonah Hill, he said it. Yeah. Jonah Hill, yeah. Actors are seen, but writers are heard. And it really resonated with me. I was like, yeah, you know, like, I don't want to just be on camera or just be on stage. I, I mean, I, I like doing that yeah, for yeah. sure, you know. But, like, it's just something even more gratifying to be able to, like, feel, like, things coming from my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, not, and not me just kind of, like, rattling off the words that someone else wrote. Um, or even if I'm writing a script and another actor is reading. But something is just really, really gratifying to see, like that be embraced and that be kind of soaked in by an audience. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. That's yeah. great. I, I we'll, we'll we'll talk off mic about that. I got a yeah. few things. But with that, mm-hmm. um, I want to move into the rapid fire portion all of the right. afternoon. Let's do it. Let's um, do it. So I got five quick ones for you. All right. You know, all right, all don't right. overthink them, never overthink them. Oh, okay. All right. Um all right. I'm going to start off with this one. Um, creative cultural work, you know, you said you mentioned the long hours. Um, how do you stay fueled? How do I still f- stay fueled? Um, uh, uh, rapid fire, rapid fire. What, what, what are you eating? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I, I wish I, that's the thing. I need to eat more. I haven't eaten today, so that's not good. Same. I'm just drink. Yeah, so we got to figure out that. Um, how do I stay? You know, I think I'm just genuinely ambitious, and I just I feel like I've always just wanted um, to make observable impact and, 
and do it in a fun, creative way. And I think that I'm just kind of motivated by like intrinsic motivation, you mm. know. Um, yeah, you know, I just got engaged. Um, so, you know, we're getting married Congrats. in March. Thank you. And so, um, you know, I'm definitely motivated too about like trying to provide for my family. Um, but, uh, but historically, it's just been like, I think I've always just had a inner drive to just be creative and, you know. Yeah. yeah. I've been running off of ambition and spite. Not sprite, but ambition and spite. And spite. Tell me more. Spite. It's just like, eh, you're not this. Mm. You're not that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just opportunities being passed over. And it's like, oh, okay. No, I'm just going to just keep doing what I do and be more, uh, just more me in doing it. That's very hip hop. It is. Yeah. I, I've been told in the past, you're not bubbly enough as a host. Mm. I've, I've, I've heard a lot of weird things in yeah. emails and um, in the DMs, but I was just saying, I'm just going to do do myself that much more. I was once told I wasn't perceived to have the tools to be the communications director. Um, and then... That was and a that, smoke and, sniff, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And now I am. Oh, there you, you go. Know, you know, uh, how's so, that working out? But um, but yeah, I think sometimes the best, like you said, clap back is just like proving people wrong. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think I have an answer to this, but uh, does your work fall closer? And this is in the the more general macro sense because you wear many hats. Mm-hmm. Does your work generally fall closer to passion or curiosity? Hmm. That's a good one. You know what? Curiosity. I think that the, I think if you asked me this ten years earlier, I would say passion. Yeah. Although I feel like I've be, as I get older, I'm becoming more strategic and dispassionate. Mm-hmm. Strategic and dispassionate. So, yeah, now it's more it's like intellectual curiosity, trying to learn more. So for sure, yeah. Um, if you so tomorrow, starting tomorrow, the, the day is 25 hours. What do you do with the extra hour? Uh, go get sushi. Finally, eat something. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely gonna try to eat some food uh, during an hour, or maybe just get an extra hour of sleep. Yeah. And uh, lastly. You know, for all of the hats, all the things that you're doing and some of the things that you're just knocking out of the park. And I feel very fortunate to have this interview. Um, what is your number one rule for success? My number one rule for success is to always maintain your integrity. I think that's where we'll stop. Yeah. That was, like, was like a mic drop right there. <laughs> so, so with that, um, I want to thank you again for coming on to this podcast and chopping it up with me. Spinning a yarn, as I've been told, that sounds like a very old saying. Uh, um, but I want to invite and encourage you. Well, to we talk- did talk about conks earlier. so we, we did talk about conks. <laughs> so I want to invite and encourage you to tell listeners uh, where they can check you out, Mural um, Arts, all of the stuff, everything CES. Please uh, share that with the folks. Yes, well, definitely check out uh, MrDukeProductions.com to learn more about my uh, production company and visit MuralArts.org to learn more about how we beautify, inspire, and empower and follow us on all of our social media platforms at Mural Arts. There you have it, folks. Again, for uh, Chad Eric Smith, I am Rob Lee saying that there is arts and culture in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it. (laughs) 